0: Welcome to the Mission North Shore podcast. If you'd like to know more about our ministry here at the Mission, visit us online at www.themissionnorthshore.org. Thanks for listening. God bless. I want to look at a really fascinating text with you guys this morning from the life of Moses. And it's over in Exodus 33, but before we get to the text, I wanted to to pose a a really serious question that I've really been pondering it in my heart as I've been studying the life of Moses and this text specifically over the last week. And just make an honest assessment of yourself. I think it's good to do spiritual inventory every once in a while, but how often, this is the question, how often are you absolutely desperate for the presence of God in your life? And I mean, really think about that for a second. Have you ever came to a place in your life where You wanted the presence of God more than you wanted life itself. That's a radical thing to think about. And you begin to strip away all the things that make up who you are, or at least who you think you are. Your giftings, your friends, your status. And you just place all these good gifts to the side, and you just said, God, I want you more than I want anything. And I believe that you're enough to satisfy everything in my soul. And I know oftentimes in my own life, I don't wake up in the morning absolutely desperate for the presence of God in my own life as often as I should be, except for the weeks I'm teaching. I'm usually at home tripping out, (laughs) praying for the Shekinah glory of God just to fill my house. But typically, when I'm not teaching and I'm just a normal person, I don't often feel that desperation as often as I should on a daily basis when I wake up. I usually wake up, on the other hand, Extremely thankful because we live in one of the most beautiful places on the entire face of the planet. And I'm overwhelmingly thankful that God has allowed me to live in a a place like this. But then I find myself, on the other hand, lacking on my desire for His presence in my everyday life. It seems to be easier just to be thankful and enamored by the gifts of God than His actual presence. But... When we survey the scripture and we look at past generations of men and women who really, really knew God, we see something radically different. We see men and women who were absolutely enamored by the presence of God, and they seemed to be the most satisfied when they were in His presence. And the men are going through this book right now, The A.W. Tozer, Pursuit of God, and that's what the book's all about, and when you read through that book, it's just like, wow, this, this guy wanted the presence of God more than he wanted anything in his entire life. Look what King David said, Psalm 1611. He said, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is the fullness of joy at your right hand. There are pleasures forevermore. That's, that's a beautiful Scripture. And I believe many of us had this Psalm 1611 moment In our lives where we had that that moment in prayer with God. And we knew that we knew that in that moment that we just experienced God in a powerful and manifest way. When we were in that surreal space where our souls were awakened to the reality of, of God. Like, wow, there's a God that actually wants to commune with me. And it was a place of this sweetness. That's the best way I know how to explain it. We had that moment that we knew that we knew that we were completely satisfied in who God was in His presence. Or maybe we had this experience when we were in a deep trial or some sort of heavy sin that just brought us to our knees, and when we are in the bottom of the pit, we knew that we had nothing but the presence of God, and God reached down and touched us that way. But what I want to do today is look at Exodus 33, at three different sections of the Scripture and I want to make three different points concerning the presence of God in our own lives. But before we get to the actual scripture, I want to explain a little bit of what the presence of God encompasses, because it's one of those things that's kind of abstract and ethereal, and it's kind of hard to understand what is the presence of an unseen God, because there's a difference between the omnipresence of God and the manifest presence of God and the indwelling spirit of God in the believer. So the Bible teaches from cover to cover that that God is everywhere, right? That God is omnipresent. That God is not limited by time and space, but He is actually present in every atom and molecule throughout the entire creation. And this is not to be confused with pantheism, right? That says God is the universe. That's a radical difference. The omnipresence of God says that He is the creator and sustainer of creation, yet He is present throughout creation. entire creation king david makes this way simpler to understand super easy he says in psalm 139 i can never escape your spirit i can never get away from your presence if i go up to heaven you are there if i go down to the grave you are there now on the other hand we have the manifest presence of god which is something radically different and that the manifest presence of god is experienced experientially where God manifests Himself in a special and localized way. Now, this is not to say that it's always going to be a visible presence of God. And it often happens in different ways. For example, God manifested Himself to Moses in the burning bush. We can also see that God manifested Himself himself on the top of Mount Sinai through the consuming fire and the billowing smoke. And the people were absolutely terrified. You see, that the very purpose of the tabernacle and the temple in the Old Testament was so that the manifest presence of God could dwell in the very middle of his people. And fast forwarding over to the New Testament, we see in the book of Acts that we see the coming of the Holy Spirit. It was characterized by a violent rushing wind and tongues of fire resting on each believer. Another manifested presence of God. You see, when Peter was on top of the roof, He was praying and he had that trippy vision in Acts chapter 10, a manifestation of God. And then the final and ultimate example I'll offer here is we can see that God manifested himself through the incarnation of Christ. We see that the Gospel of John says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. What's really interesting about this, this is kind of bonus, um, that the phrase dwelt among us literally means that Christ pitched a tent. That he tabernacled among us. And that's an amazing truth of the manifestation of God. And I like how the Message Bible puts it. It says the Word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. So we have the omnipresence of God and the manifest presence of God. God is here now. God will be here tonight at midnight, and God will be here in a very special way as our hearts are contingent towards wanting Him as we begin to worship. He'll begin to manifest Himself to us, which is always contingent if we want Him or not. Now, to divide this truth a little bit deeper, just so we can kind of clear out all the haze, um, as Christians, we have the Holy Spirit living within us, right? The indwelling Spirit. But even then the manifest presence of God is something completely different. And I say all of these things to say this, that the greatest thing that bars us from experiencing the manifest presence of God in our lives is simply just a lack of warning His presence. You see, yes, God is, is with you in an omnipresent sense. God is with you in a sense that He indwells you because you have been born again. But still, beyond all this, God desires to manifest Himself in this place, in our lives, individually, on a day-by-day basis. But oftentimes, we just don't experience the presence of God because we turn to lesser things to satisfy our souls. And it becomes, it becomes an idol in the long run that turns our hearts away from God. And these can, these can be good things, right? We have this, this picture Over in Isaiah 58 and 59. Of a people of God who were praying and fasting for God to move. They seemed really sincere. They're praying. They're fasting. And all the while they were serving idols. Look what Isaiah says. He says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not so short that He cannot save. Nor is His ear so dull that He cannot hear. But your iniquities have made separation between you and your God. Your sins have hidden His face from you so that He does not hear. You see, God could hear, and God could see, and God was able, but there was an inconsistency between their lives and what they were asking God to do. You see, they wanted God to move in their midst, but they didn't really want the presence of God, which was evidenced by the way that they were living. And I think this is a common, unfortunate tendency of the Christian life, right? Right? Where we start off really, really strong experiencing the presence of God in our lives. But as time goes on, we allow lesser things just to wedge themselves between our souls and the presence of God. And we kind of move into this place of weird mechanical religion. Where we move into this space where we're maintaining this machinery rather than thriving in a holy God that wants to to sit with us. And, and we talk about how we used to experience God. You know, God did this thing and that thing in the day. And, and as time goes on, we just seem to experience God less and less and less. And we keep reaching back into the past and saying, yeah, God moved that way in that particular time. But man, I haven't heard from God in a while. I, I don't even know if i experience experienced Him anymore. And there's a real danger just to, just to sort of do church, and sort of do everyday life and, and never really experience the manifest presence of God moving mightily in our souls you see God will he will never simply force himself on us but his presence is always contingent for our desire for his presence is that making sense you guys tracking with me okay because I had to look up that word contingent I wasn't sure what that meant. I was like does that make sense that contingent contingency And my wife was yeah that's right and I was like okay And I I want to show you this morning how Moses just, he really understood this that God was so much more than a blessing. And God was so much more than an answered prayer. But the very being of God is what Moses was after. Sounds familiar, right? King David was, was a man that was after God's own heart. And for Moses, death was better than going forward without the presence of God. With a life full of blessings, he said, Now I'd rather die without his presence. So, leading um, up to Exodus 33, I'm going to paint a little bit of context and we'll get in the scripture. And I promise I'm going to pray for God's anointing on this. Uh, so, the people have been drawn out of Israel, right? They've been drawn out of Israel through the slavery or of the slavery of the Egyptians. And God's done this in a radical way. He's sent all these amazing plagues to release Pharaoh's clutch on the hands of his people. He turns the Nile to blood. He sends hordes of frogs, gnats, and flies. He strikes down all the livestock of the Egyptians. And then he sends boils on the Egyptians. And then God sends hail. And then he sends locusts. And then utter darkness falls over the entire land. And yet Pharaoh hardens his heart until the final plague struck down all the firstborn of the Egyptians. And then God brings the people through the Red Sea. And he splits the sea in half and the people walk through on dry land. And then he brings them on this journey where he literally provides food from the sky and water from rocks. And he guides them during the day with a pillar of cloud and at night by a pillar of fire. And then he brings them to Mount Sinai and he shows them his glory through this picture of this consuming fire and this billowing smoke. And it's there on the mountain that God actually meets with Moses as the people's representative and He gives them the written law and He writes it with His very finger. And it's also there on the mountain that God talks to Moses how He's going to tabernacle in the very middle of His people and He's given him instructions how He wants to dwell in the very middle of His people. And then in Exodus 32, the people are all down at the bottom of the mountain and they've brought all their gold and their possessions together, and they're worshipping this golden calf. So that's the context leading up to chapter 33. You know, Moses is meeting with the glory of God on the mountain. They've experienced God in these radical ways, and God's talking to Moses, this is how I want to meet with you. I'm going to give you this design for this tabernacle, and I'm going to meet in the very middle of the camp. So Moses comes down the mountain, he sees what's going on, and right at the end of chapter 32, 3,000 men are struck down. So there's a heavy context leading up to chapter 33. So we're going to read three different sections from this chapter. So if you have your Bible, I don't think they're going to pop up on the screen, so if you have a Bible or an app, you can go to that. That would be super helpful. But I'm going to start with verses 1 through 3. I'll pray, and then we'll begin to make our first point. Chapter 33, verse 1. The Lord said to Moses, Depart. Go up from here, you and the people whom you have brought up out of Egypt, the land which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to your offspring, I will give it. I will send an angel, catch this. I will send an angel before you, and I will drive out the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Hittites, the Parasites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Go up to the land flowing with milk and honey, and he drops the bomb. But I will not go up among you, lest I consume you on the way, for you are a stiff-necked people. Let's pray. Lord, as we open Your Word, finally, as I get to it, I pray that as we search the Scriptures, You would search our hearts, God, and that You would manifest Yourself in our hearts in a special way. As we read Your Word, that You would change us, that You would make us want You more than we want anything, God. Sometimes it's, it's difficult for us to, to see an unseen God, but Lord, I know that you desire to manifest yourself to us, so help us, Lord, to understand your beauty, your splendor, and how we can be completely satisfied in you. We praise you this morning, in Jesus' name, amen. So point number one is the presence of God should always be desired over the gifts of God. The presence of God should always be desired over the gifts of God. So, verses 1 through 3, we see here that Moses has this amazing conversation with God. And God is basically telling Moses that his presence would not continue to go with the people because of their sin with the golden calf. And yet, what's so amazing about this, the caveat, don't miss this, that he would send an angel ahead of them to drive out the enemies, to give them the the land of milk and honey. And God is essentially saying to the people in Moses, You know, I'll I'll give you military strength, I'll give you prosperity, I'll give you everything you want, but just just go. But you know what? My presence is not going to go with you. And that's really an incredible statement if you ponder over that. God's saying, hey, I'll give you everything you want, but you know what? My presence, that's not going to go with you. And as I was thinking about this and studying this this week, I realized that it sounds hauntingly familiar. Especially in my own life. This was a pretty heavy week for me. How many of, how many of us, excuse me, ha- have seen God as a means to an end? That, that we essentially see God as this object to get what we want. How desperate are we for God to fix our circumstances? And we're so desperate for God to make our lives enjoyable. And we're so desperate for God to do this and that. But how desperate are we for God Himself? You see, oftentimes we're desperate to see God do these things, but in reality it seems like we're not so desperate for just His presence. And this is not to say that God does not desire to give us good gifts. The Scripture is overwhelmingly clear that God is a good Father who desires to give His children good gifts. But You see, the problem arises when that child only sees the gifts and the requests and not the giver see, wanting to be in the presence of the Father is radically different than wanting to be in the presence of the gifts, whether that's answered prayer or a direction in life or whatever. And man, doesn't some unmet expectations really reveal our heart really fast about how much we desire God? I remember when I was praying really, really, really hard about this one particular thing in this one particular period of my life, and it was a good thing. I'm not going to tell you guys what it was. But it was a good thing. And I, I, you know, I thought it was God's will. And I prayed really hard for it for a long time. And I got like hyper-focused on this thing that I knew that God had to do in my life. And when that thing didn't come to pass, I was crushed. And God taught me something really cool in that season of my life that I was seeking after His direction. I was seeking after His blessings. Not even like in an overt like prosperity, weird gospel thing but it was like He showed me that I wanted these things, direction and blessings and all this stuff more than I actually wanted Him. And that unanswered prayer was the best prayer that was ever answered in my life because it helped me behold the glory of God for the first time. I was like, wow. I understand Psalm 1611 that in Your presence is the fullness of joy. It was the best unanswered prayer, if I can say that, that I ever had. You see, it's true that that with Christ, you receive the forgiveness of sins. You, you receive the promise of eternal life. And you actually get the promise of heaven. Which are all radically beautiful gifts. But if you really think about it, these are all just the ultimate results. Follow me. These are all the ultimate results of barriers that were removed so that we could have God. And Think about that. See, God can't dwell among sin. Eternal life destroys death. And the promise of heaven... Is dwelling with Christ forever. You see, the gospel has been distorted in our day. Where you come to Christ and you get this and that. But when you come to Christ, ladies and gentlemen, you get, you get God. You, you get God. You get so much more than a Tacoma. Or a new surfboard. Or an answered prayer or a direction in your life. Or even health. And the psalmist summed this so he summed this up so well in Psalm 73 he said he said this Whom have I in heaven but you I desire you more than anything on earth my health may fail my spirit may grow weak but God remains the strength of my heart He is mine forever See the psalmist knew that God was the chief end of his life not anything on this earth not even his health You see the psalmist was able to say to God that you can satisfy My soul. So get the picture here in Exodus 33. Try to get the picture. God is saying, go to the land, take your blessings, but I'm not going to go with you. And the people are presented with a choice. Either we take the blessings of God apart from the presence of God, or we sit here and we repent until the presence of God goes forward with us. And I want you to skip down to verse 12 and notice how Moses steps in the gap and he says, no, there's no way. We're not going to go forward without you. And this will make our second point. Then Moses said to the Lord, "See, Say to me, bring up these people, But you yourself have not let me know to whom you will send with me. Moreover, you have said, I have not known you by name, or I have known you by name, and you have found also favor in my sight. Now therefore, I pray, if I have found favor in your sight, let me know your ways that I may know you so that I may find favor favor in your sight. Consider, too, that this nation is your people. And the Lord said to Moses, My presence shall go with you, and I will give you rest. And then notice verse 15. It's like Moses kind of like checks out out of the conversation for a second. He says, Then Moses said to the Lord, If your presence does not go with us, do not lead us up from here. For how then can it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not by your going with us, so that I and your people may be distinguished from all the other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, I will also do this thing which you have spoken. For you have found favor in my sight, and I have known you by name. But here's the second point. The presence of God is something to be experienced and shared. The presence of God is something to be experienced and shared. It's just not for you. And we see that Moses, he steps in the gap and he says, no, we're not, we're not going forward without you. But What you've got to notice in this text is he, he places an emphasis on we. It's, it's a community affair. It's a church. He says, we're not going forward without you. And you've got to realize that Moses wasn't on the bottom of the mountain worshiping the golden calf. He was on top of the mountain beholding the glory of God and he says, hey, if you don't go with us, we're not going to go. And I'll read verse 15 again and see if you can pick up on all the plural pronouns. Verse 14, he says, I'll go with you and give you rest, Moses. And then the second plea, Moses says in verse 15, Then Moses said to the Lord, If your presence does not go with us, do not lead us up from here. For how then can it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? It is not by your going with us, so that we, I and your people, may be distinguished from all the people who were on the face of the earth. See, Moses wanted the people of God to experience the presence of God. He wasn't willing to keep this lofty mountaintop experience to himself while the people were at the bottom of the mountain mourning in their sin. You see, Moses wasn't willing to see the people just waste away their lives. So he stands in the gap and he basically says, we as a community will not go forward without the presence of God. In verse 17 says, the Lord saying to Moses, I will also do this thing. So he stands in the gap two times. And even more crazy, if you go back to chapter 32, Moses even says that he was willing to see his name blotted out of the book of life. To see the Israelites' sin forgiven with a golden calf. And does that sound familiar to anybody? The book of Romans where Paul says a very similar statement. He says, I, I could wish I were a curse cut off from Christ for the sake of his kinsmen, the Israelites, who did not know Christ. And when you read those, when you step back and read those in Scripture, you're like, what? You know, I've like, worked so hard to get to God. God's worked so hard to find me. And then they're able to say statements like that. That I'm willing to be blotted out of the book of life. I could be a curse from Christ if these people could know your experience. If these people could know your presence. If these people could could only see your glory. And there's something to be said about being in the manifest presence of God that that does something to the human heart. If you really behold the glory of God, and if you're really ever in His presence, that you do something to your heart that urges you to go to absolute radical lengths to share this satisfaction that you found in God with others. So it's not so much about your relationship with the Lord and what he's done for you, but it's more about just that tangible, visible relationship that you have with the Father. You see, Moses had been in the manifest presence of God, and, and he would have rather died than go forward without it. And the really beautiful icing on the cake is he wasn't willing to see the people go forward without it either. Same with Paul, he was absolutely haunted, absolutely haunted. By his people not knowing God, but only knowing this religion. And over in Romans 9-2, it says that uh, Paul had great sorrow, unceasing grief in his heart. Have you guys ever felt like that for someone? Have you ever beheld the glory of God? And then maybe your mom or your dad didn't know the glory of God, or maybe your sister, your brother, your friend, maybe just some person you didn't know. Did you ever have that unceasing grief that said, I want to show you something? It was so hard to get through. And that's what's going on here. They, they, they beheld the glory of God for realsies. They, they saw Him. And they were like, man, I, could, I would go the radical lengths to have other people experience it. So the glory of God's presence is not only to be experienced by you, but it's to be exploded. I, don't, I didn't know what word to use there. I was like, exploded sounds good. But it's to be exploded, maybe try to let that sink in, exploded into a desire to share with others. I like Star Wars a lot. I like, I love Star Wars, and it's ridiculous actually how much I like Star Wars. It's probably an idol, but um, my wife she hasn't seen any of the Star Wars movies. She hasn't seen any of them. There's six Star Wars movies, and they're all incredible. And I have this burden that I want, I want to show her these Star Wars movies. They're like you have to see these. You have to understand the Force. You got to know Luke. And she doesn't want to see it. I'm like, oh my gosh, Lord. Help me, help her. There's new ones coming out in December. And we should have that same burden to to take our, um, our affection that we have for Christ to others. So, notice in verse 18. As Moses had not seen enough of God's glory, Moses now continues. And we'll make our third point. Moses said, Please show me your glory. And the Lord said, I will make all my goodness pass before you. And I will proclaim before you, my name, the Lord, and I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But he said, you cannot see my face, for if a man shall see me, I'm sorry, for a man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand in the rock, and while my glory passes by, I will put you in the cleft of that rock, and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take my hand away, and you shall see my back my face shall not be seen. So point number 3 you we're taking notes. Being in the presence of God is satisfying, but it's in His presence that we want more of His glory. Being in the presence of God is absolutely satisfying,
1: a dichotomy,
0: but it's in His presence that we want to see more of His glory. And what's amazing about this section of Scripture, and I don't have time to pack, unpack all of this because... I just can't do justice to this little chunk of Scripture. There's just so much here. But I at least want you to know this, to kind of stay with the theme of the sermon, the presence of God, that when you taste the manifest pres- presence of God, excuse me, it should absolutely drive you to yearn for more and more and more. I mean, every man and woman across the pages of Scripture that walked with God on a consistent basis, consistent basis, keyword there, always had the same thing in common. Every one of these guys. And they always wanted more of the presence of God. And it's kind of odd, right? Because he does satisfy the soul, but yet at the same time, the satisfaction that you can find in God can go deeper and deeper and deeper and more intense. A.W. Tozer said, to have found God and still pursue Him is the love soul paradox of love. Excuse me, let me say that again. I, I butchered that. It's Really good. To have. Fa- I'm sorry, A.W. Tozer. To have found God and still to pursue Him is the soul's paradox of love. Sorry about that. So we really don't ever see anyone saying to God, basically, that, that's, that's enough. I'm satisfied with what I know of you, and let's just sort of put this relationship on cruise control. Let's go 65, let's just cruise it out from here. Actually, on the contrary, we find guys like King David. Despite this guy's extreme highs and his extreme lows, he writes in Psalm 42. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before my God? See, King David wanted more. Paul. Everybody loves Paul. After knowing Jesus for 30 years, after the Damascus Road experience, after all the amazing ministry, after the incredible uh, miracles. I mean, the guy had look at Acts 19, the guy had like this um, anointed handkerchief. I mean, that's, an, that, that's amazing. If you guys don't know what I'm talking about, look into that. Paul had an anointed handkerchief that just healed people on the spot. And yeah, after all this, in the book of Philippians, he writes, that I may know him. And this is the end of his life. And that know means to have an experiential, intimate relationship with the Lord. At the end of his life, he writes to the Philippians, he says this, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. And may share his sufferings in becoming like him in his death. You see, Paul wanted more. He was a man that knew God so intimately, but yet at the end of his life, he still says, I want more. Moses, who probably experienced God in the most tremendous ways. You think about the burning bush. You think about the radical plagues, the Red Sea, the pillar, the, the actual glory of God on top of the mountain. Yeah, after all this we see Moses say, Moses said, Please. Show me your glory. And what's funny about Moses' request here is that God basically says no. He basically says no. That you, can't, you can't see my full glory, Moses, and live. But you know what? I'm just going to kind of pass by. I'll let you see my afterglow, as it were. And you'll be able to glean from my very essence, from me just passing by, by just seeing my back. The very essence, the presence, the amazingness of my goodness. You see, Moses was still a man who had sinned against the Lord. He was still a man who had sin in his heart. And there's just this incompatibility, right, between an infinite holy God and a finite sinful people. But what's really beautiful about this is we're going to now connect this to the gospel because everything's got to find its way to the gospel. This encounter between Moses and God points to a greater future. Right, when Christ would clothe man with his righteousness so that we can now behold the glory of God in a much greater way. We can actually see his face. where Moses couldn't see his face, look at Paul writes in 2 Corinthians. He says, For God who said, Let there be light and darkness. So he's hearkening back to the Genesis account. For God who said, Let there be light and darkness has made this light shine in our hearts so that we can know the glory of God. That is seen in the face of Jesus Christ. Isn't that awesome? You see, what Moses could only see partially, we can now see fully in the person of Jesus. And I mean fully in a sense that the glory of God is not veiled, right? That his glory and his presence is available to you if you would only seek his presence. So as we begin to wrap up, I'll recap those points. The presence of God should naturally, that's an important word, the presence of God should be naturally desired over the gifts of God. The presence of God is something to be experienced and shared. And the final point, it is in His presence that we are satisfied, yet we want more and more and more of His glory. So in closing, I'll ask you guys a question again. Has there ever been a moment in your life where you woke up or you had a moment where you were absolutely desperate for the presence of God. Maybe you can think about it later and just really ponder it. Because I think it will reveal a lot about your understanding of this holy, infinite God. Because if you have this, this general belief in God, so you'll, you'll go to God for things, right? You'll go to God for mercy and strength. You'll go to God for help and power or whatever. But when you begin to truly experience the presence of God and the glory of God, you start thinking about who he is. There's a radical difference there. And when you behold who Christ is, it becomes an end in itself. He becomes satisfying in himself. Think about it like this. This is kind of a good way to think about it. Imagine you're watching a beautiful sunset. Okay? Absolutely amazing, which is not very hard to do here because this is like the place of sunsets. But the sky is this absolutely on fire with different shades of red and orange and pink. And you just sit down to enjoy the passing skyline. You just, you know what, I'm just going to sit here with my tea and I'm just going to trip out on this sunset. And then you ask yourself, why, why am I here? You think about that. You're sitting there and you, you see this, you're beholding this glorious thing and you ask yourself, why, why am I here? What am I trying to accomplish in this particular moment? And then you would say to yourself, you're you're not trying to accomplish anything, right? But you are finding satisfaction in just the presence of the sunset. I want to end with this quote, and then we'll pray, and then we will worship. And this is from A.W. Tozer. This book is rocking my life. So if you're not in a men's group, you should join. He says this. God is so vastly wonderful, so utterly and completely delightful that He can, without anything other than Himself, meet and overflow the deepest demands of our total nature. Mysterious and deep as that nature is. So, by no means, do I expect anyone to go out of here and behold the glory of God in a way that's going to change your life. But it has to be something that's cultivated. It's a consistency, beholding the presence of being and the glory of God. And it's going to, we're all going to learn this to, to different degrees, at different periods of our of our life. So if you if you leave here today and you have a, a rough week and you're not experienced in the presence of God, just just hold in there. Just wait on the Lord. Okay, so let's pray. Lord, we uh, Lord, we just, we praise you, and we want to behold your glory this morning. We ask that. You would forgive anything in our hearts, Lord, that is not pleasing to you. That you would wipe our slate clean, even in this moment, no matter what happened this week, God. That you would transform our hearts so that we can behold your glory. I pray whatever sin is in there, God, that you would draw it out. So that we can see you clearly this morning. So we ask that you would manifest yourself in the middle of your people in this place, Lord that we would move from this place as the people who have experienced the glory and the presence of God because You are everything that our soul ever needs. So we ask, God, that You would please, God, we plead with You, we plead with You. You please just come and be with us in this place, not only for Your glory, but for the sake of Your people, Lord. And I pray for those, Lord, who who maybe haven't experienced You in a long time, that, that they would freshly experience You this morning. That you would show yourself glorious, that you were the most satisfying thing. Help us to forsake things that are less than you, God. It's so easy to get caught up in the visceral. Help us to behold the glory of the unseen God. So we praise you and we honor you and we give you all the glory this morning. And it's in Jesus Christ's name.